and welcome to Peaceful at Heart. My name is Cedric Martin and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're gonna take a closer look at the book, Peaceful at Heart, Anabaptist Reflections on Healthy Masculinity. We'll dive into the chapters, hear from the authors, and think a little bit more about what healthy masculinity might look like in our modern context. Uh, joining us today is Peter Niemeyer. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and for your chapter in this book so that we can discuss it. Uh, how are you doing? I'm keeping well. Thanks for the invitation and glad that we're able to meet like this. Yeah. In the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully here <laughs> in Toronto. So, yeah. 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 And uh, it's, it's really nice for me because this is the, the first in-person interview I could do. Most people are at a distance, so even without a pandemic, it wouldn't have necessarily worked to do all these right. in-persons. So. Exactly. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. Uh, I, I did really appreciate your chapter, your perspective on healthy masculinity. Uh, before diving in too far, could you tell us a little bit about when you were approached about this project? Ah, uh, that was several years ago. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I took some time to think about it in terms of whether I wanted to participate or, or how I wanted to participate. Um, it hadn't been too long since my coming out. Um, and so that being part of the conversation around how to approach this chapter was part of the, the thinking about it and framing of it. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was so new to you in this uh, writing process, too. Uh, yeah. 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 I, well, I think I I, I came out um, six, seven years ago. And so it wasn't too long after that that uh, I was approached uh, by Don to consider being a part of this initiative and project. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Peter, in, in your chapter, you say... Uh, I understand masculinity as mostly a socially constructed term. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, masculinity is um, a concept uh, that derives from various cultural um, traditions, ways of thinking of things, uh, handed down. Uh, it's not a static thing. It's something that changes uh, over time. Um, what passed for ideas of masculinity 10 years ago, <laughs> we don't even have to go that far back in time, uh, has altered and changed uh, within our society. And then if we look at that in terms of 50 years, 100 years, 500 years, uh, if we look into antiquity, uh, ideas of what was what it meant to be a man um, has constantly been shifting and changing from how you dress, how you do your hair, um, how you act, how you sit. <laughs> um, all of these things uh, are are determined through social uh uh, norms that that come uh, into being, as opposed to something more physical or innate. Uh, sure. So uh, I would say that it, it's it's a social construction. Yeah, and, and it's helpful to think of it beyond just our 
our lifetimes too, I suppose, because you might think, oh, that's the way things always are if you remember it that way. But mm -hmm. uh, thinking 500 years ago, how a, a society might think about masculinity would definitely be different. My father uh, would say that men who wore white socks in, in his European Dutch context, men who wore white socks were considered gay. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and try saying that here in a North American context where people wore, men wore white socks all the time. Yeah. Athletic white socks uh, were pretty standard fare. Um, so, yeah, it just shows how something like wearing socks, depending on your cultural background and the whole list, uh, you know, it changes yeah. over time. For sure. So. Peter, you tell this, this beautiful story of, of freeing a goat one morning while doing chores, and then you use that as a, a metaphor for your coming out. Mm -hmm. If we were to think of the church as the barn, uh, <laughs> what changes or, or modifications could we make to have other goats feel safe to go to the feeding trough in the future? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that they don't get stuck, I suppose. Right. Yeah, I mean, life isn't going to be perfect and there's always going to be challenges of one sort or another that have to be navigated. Um, but I think the church needs to be a place where everything and anything can be uh, confronted and talked about and processed um, and that there should be safe spaces in which to do that. Um, because God is in everything. Uh, there is nothing that is outside uh, the presence uh, of God. Um, so for the church to make certain topics uh, untouchable or to be shame-filled uh, is, is to me, um, it, it's against... Uh, God, uh, because God is in everything and invites us to explore uh, what that all means. Uh, so God is in my sexuality. God is in the midst of how I live out what it means to be a man as, as I have been coming to understand it and grow into. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, I think the the church, the barnyard image, uh, the that you know, there's limitations to that analogy, um, but yeah, we need to make it so that people don't get stuck, uh, whatever the issues are. Uh, it just happens to be that issues of sexuality are often where people get stuck, and the church all too often is uh, not a place to have those conversations so that people can get unstuck, uh, that they can experience uh, freedom around that and live into, yeah, how they're wired and how they're made. So. For sure. Uh, you explain in your chapter the importance of rupturing binaries mm -hmm. uh, and, and understand the different metaphors of God as male, female, animal, and, and rock. 
what benefits are there to being specific about the pronouns we use in church? Uh, to me, I, I, I lean pretty heavily on Elizabeth Johnson, who is a, um, a sister within the Catholic tradition. Um, I believe she teaches at Fordham University, uh, but I would have to fact check that. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, in her writings around this, uh, she makes it very clear that when we rely on just male pronouns, he, him, his, uh, for God, uh, we in fact make an idol. Uh, uh, we, we, we're skirting on the edges of idolatry uh, when we rely solely upon male pronouns. Um, and so in her writing, and I, to me, I, I think it's deeply within the realms of orthodoxy, if one wants to speak in those terms. Uh, I, I am Trinitarian uh, in my understanding of God. Um, I am Trinitarian because I am convinced that if we say that God is love, uh, love cannot be in isolation. Uh, it has to always exist in relationship. So to me, the Christian teaching of God, three in one, one in three, is a deep mystery of the Christian faith. Um, many choose to, to not embrace that idea. Uh, but for me, that is something that I embrace and hold on to. And I think that plurality of God, uh, it only makes sense that we use pronouns they, them uh, in referring to God. Um, that because we are created in the image of God, uh, to use that language, um, all of us. Uh, no matter where we are on on the spectrum of maleness, femaleness, however that's been uh, uh, discerned or interpreted over time, we need to see ourselves reflected in God. Um, and God is so diverse in their nature that there is space for all of us whether a person is cisgender, transgender, uh, gender fluid, uh, however they identify in terms of ideas of maleness or femaleness, um, that they see themselves uh, as being part of that, reflecting that image of God in all of that diversity. Uh, and so to me, that just makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, struck by the idea of uh, idolatry in, in terms of using the pronouns for, for how we use to talk about God. Uh, I guess we're um, sort of projecting an image of what we expect God to be when we do that. Yeah. And when we're not open to... Uh, I, I understand that how we're framed around our understanding of God becomes very comforting. And when we're challenged to think outside of those boxes, it can make us feel very uncomfortable. And so I get that there's there are pronouns that people just feel more comfortable to use uh, in relationship with God. Um, 
But I do think that that's a fair warning that Elizabeth Johnson lays out, that if we become very rigid about that, um, to the to the point of insist, insisting that it cannot be understood in any other way than the way that you understand it, um, then then that is a spiritual warning to take heed of in terms of uh, moving into the terrain of, of idolatry. Yeah, for sure. All right. Your section in your chapter on schoolyard politics mm. stood out to me. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about the children of today, what, what messages do we need to do a better job of teaching them so that they don't have to live in fear and they can just be themselves? Yeah. Um, when I read stories about uh, families who are trying to raise their ch children um, with a greater degree of freedom around gender expression, um, that warms my heart uh, because uh, to me that's part of change. It's part of transitioning and and that takes time it just it just takes time for for people to become comfortable with that um and so when i think in terms of schoolyard there's always going to be schoolyard politics because we're human <laughs> beings um so we're not going to get away from that but if we can uh raise children, uh, if we can, in the church, uh, incorporate into Sunday school curriculum in terms of how we do church together to break down some of these gender binaries, the way we frame things and talk. And, and it's so entrenched in, in church culture, uh, you know, the men's group, the women's group, um, uh, yeah, there we've we've been shaped by so many deep concepts of binary around male and femaleness uh, that it really takes a fair bit of intentional work to to break down and to overcome and to allow new understandings. Um, and the way that we talk about certain things being feminine and certain things being masculine. Um, so for me, I was much more into the arts. And again, you know, um, we always have to be careful around stereotypes that we create. Um, and so, you know, when I talk about being in the arts more, that doesn't mean that most gay people are more into the arts and not into sports. Those are, those are all stereotypes as well. I mean, uh, just this past week, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the football player, but he's the first football player to uh, come out uh, and and identify as gay. Um, so his experience of being gay is going to be very different because obviously he excelled in sports. And so I just want to flag that as something that we have to be cautious of. But uh, for me, in that experience uh, of schoolyard politics, um, being called sissy, being called a fag, uh, um, because of 
my interests because of being more interested in in art, um, being more interested in uh, games that were supposedly girls' games. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, so we need to, to break down those things so that there's space for the in-between, um, that we create space. And, and, and those things don't align according to sexual orientation, right? <laughs> yeah. And they don't align according to gender identity, right? These are all social constructs. Uh, that when you really look at them closely, become ridiculous when you put them under the, the microscope and look more at them more carefully. Um, so we need to make sure that we tend to the well-being of the whole person, that we encourage the arts, that we don't put gender identities or markers to them so that it gives more space to people to just be who they are. Um, and not have to worry about these social pressures that only girls do this or only boys do that. Yeah. yeah. Sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for your time. Um, but before we go, do you have any sending thoughts for us into the rest of our day? Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that there's a book like this. Uh, I'm. I'm glad to be part of it. I know that it's probably challenged people. I know that there was some politics involved in terms of my chapter being included uh, in it. But I'm glad that in the end uh, it worked out uh, because there is there needs to be a diversity of voices around. Uh, what a healthy masculinity, according to our current time, can be and look like. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't deny that there is a sense of masculinity and femininity, um, but we need to be much more open to how we get in touch with all of uh, these different aspects that are within us. Uh, that I think God wants to use to teach us more about what it means to be created in the image of God. Mm. And if we cut off certain parts of ourselves because it's considered too feminine or too masculine, um, and we don't give space to, uh, to dive deeper into it, um, to understand what more does that have to teach us about what it means to be created in the image of God and how it can be offered in community to uplift one another, to uh, encourage each other, to learn from each other in, um, then we do a great disservice to the body uh, in its entirety. Um, so yeah, I think that image that Paul uses around being the body of Christ it's a body that is feminine, masculine, uh, and each one of us, as we grow more comfortable, as we learn more about ourselves in terms of those ideas, 
um, how they're expressed in us in a variety of different ways, to whatever extent that is through our culture, and whatever, to whatever extent there are some biological aspects to that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think then we honor the body, our own bodies, and the body of Christ when we can do that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, coming out, Peter. I, I really appreciated being able to, to talk about your chapter, and, uh, and I'm glad that it was included in this book. So thank you. I am too. Thank you. Peaceful at Heart was recorded in the city of Takaranto, the land covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. This is the Dish with One Spoon territory. The Dish with One Spoon is a treaty between the Anishinaabe, Mississaugas, and Haudenosaunee that bound them to share the territory and protect the land. Subsequent Indigenous nations and peoples, Europeans, and all newcomers have been invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. We all eat out of the dish, and all of us that share this territory with one spoon. We want to acknowledge the ancestral lands and waterways of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Takaranto is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We wish to thank them and any other nations who cared for this land. Colonization is a continuing form of oppression, so it is important that we acknowledge the lands and digital spaces that we are holding and taking up. We remember the acknowledged and unacknowledged, recorded and unrecorded, past, present, and future. We are all treaty people. Peaceful at Heart was produced and edited by myself, Cedric Martin. It was made possible thanks to Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, Be in Christ Church of Canada, Theatre of the Beat, and of course, by Mennonite Men. To find more resources, head to MennoniteMen.org.